Hello and welcome to a joint podcast. This is the uh, Meridian Magazine Come Follow Me podcast and the Scriptures Are Real podcast. And uh, I'm one host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to be also with Scott and Maureen Proctor, uh, the hosts of the Meridian Magazine Come Follow Me podcast. Uh, so it's just good to be with you again, Scott and Maureen. Well, we're excited too. There's nothing really quite so fun as unpacking the scriptures that sometimes might seem mysterious to us. So we hope it'll be a day of exploration. Well, and what could be more exciting than to study Isaiah? I think so many people in the church over the generations have struggled with Isaiah, but uh, Nephi promised that in our day we would be able to understand Isaiah. And so maybe this discussion and these discussions throughout the church of Isaiah is part of that prophecy that we'll begin to understand Isaiah in our time. So Carrie, let me start out with a, a question for you. Isaiah chapter 40 starts out with this beautiful, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. And then he says, uh, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So that is an amazing thing to say, that the warfare is accomplished. What is What time frame is this talking about? Because I think most of us today feel like we're smack dab in the middle of a great war. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, but you're right, there's an, an important historical context here. We're at a, a really key juncture in Isaiah, maybe in terms of Come Follow Me as well. I hope uh, that uh, our, our audiences have been having a good experience, that uh, we're getting uh, to understand Isaiah more than ever before, and hopefully with the great study we've had of the historical background we did like a month or so ago, uh, helped us to get that. But let's just remind ourselves that uh, the Assyrians at this point had scattered the northern kingdom, and they had then, that's like 730 to 720 BC, and then uh, in the years just before 700 BC, they've invaded the southern kingdom and destroyed every uh, defensed and uh, city with walls and so on, so on, except Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was miraculously spared. And all of that kind of ends by the end of chapter 39. So chapter 40 is a really important thematic shift. Most of what Isaiah has talked about before this has been warnings uh, that if you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed. And uh, so just warning after warning of that. Isaiah is very good whenever he's giving a lot of warnings and woes. He always throws in little bits of hope. He'll say, but don't worry, for the righteous or those that keep the covenant, it's going to work out okay. And he does the opposite when he gives lots of, of comforting chapters, like everything's going to be wonderful and we're going to rejoice. He always throws in, ah, but not for the wicked. That's not going to go so well for them. And then back to the comforting of the righteous. So he always has his caveats. We're, we're now getting from where we are mostly warning, whoa, you're about to be destroyed chapters, to you've survived uh, because the, uh, the people in Jerusalem repented, uh, got rid of idolatry, kept the covenant. So now we are getting to the comforting and rejoicing chapters. They're going to have some of both, but uh, this this is more of the looking forward. What do we what what should we expect now? So there's a lot of warning about Babylon's going to be your next problem, and here's what's going to happen, and we're going to. Uh, save you and you'll return and so on. But there's a lot of, of comfort and rejoicing in these chapters. It's interesting that as I listen to your putting this in context 
and they have just witnessed this miraculous sparing of Jerusalem. If you read chapters 40 through 49, which is our lesson material for this week, you really do get a sense that the Lord is reminding them over and over and over again, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who saved you. There's no idols that can do anything. They, there is no other God. I am the only one. And it's a perfect time to remind them of that in the midst of this miraculous sparing of Jerusalem. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, so you, you introduce another kind of uh, thematic, and it's, it's less topical and more uh, stylistic thematic shift that we get here. Uh, and that's that uh, Isaiah is going to become really repetitive on a couple of things. So, I mean, he's, he uses repetition anyway, all, all gospel writers do, and it's how God re- gives emphasis to things and, and reminds us of things, but it's going to get really repetitive here. Part of the reason for that um, is that there's a, a structure that I, I think we haven't identified before. When I was writing my commentary on Isaiah, I, I think I, I put this in there. I think it's the first time it's been published. But there is a huge chiasm. So a, a chiasm is where things start with one idea and they work their way in thematically to an idea and then they work their way back out. So you end with the idea you started with and you have a center point there. Um, and uh, there's one that spans from chapter 40 through chapter 57. Uh, and uh, as a result, just because you're working your way in and you work your way out, you're going to get a lot of repetition. And uh, so that's that's a, a fun thing. Uh, and chapter 48 and 49 are the central point of that uh, chiasm, and it has to do with redemption. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. Uh, that's the end of our reading for this week, right? So that's right at the center of this chiasmus. Uh, so basically this week we're doing the first half of the chiasmus. Um, but there's another kind of repetition he does as well. And you'll see this like chapters 40 through 45 or 46, where Isaiah talks about all of the good things that come because they've trusted in him and when they trust in him, how they'll be delivered and blessed and so on. But he ends each chapter with a little warning about, but, but when you get too comfortable in that and you stop relying on me, then you're going to have some problems and, and uh, I'll have to humble you. But then we get the beginning of the next chapter. So he ends almost all these chapters that way, but the beginning of the next chapter, oh, but don't worry, when you are keeping the covenant and so on. And uh, th- there, so he presents for us a cycle. In the Book of Mormon, we call this the pride cycle. Uh, at the beginning of the Old Testament, we might call it the idolatry cycle. We see it in Judges. We see it all over. Um, I would call it the, the covenant or the covenant corruption cycle, and I think that that covers how it's presented in the Book of Mormon, or the Old Testament, New Testament, anywhere. And it's this idea that when we keep the covenant, we are blessed. But too often, we start to think that those blessings are because we're really great, and so we stop trusting in God and putting our emphasis on God, and we put our emphasis on ourselves, on ancient idols, modern idols, uh, on wealth, uh, you know, pride. These are the kind of probably the most common idols for us and the Nephites. Uh, but you put your emphasis and your trust on something else, and then you stop keeping the covenant. And so God will humble you, and then you'll start to keep the covenant again, and we get this cycle and, and Isaiah kind of shows us that cycle as he, uh, repeating itself a number of times in these chapters. So we do get a lot of repetition of this emphasis on don't trust in idols, trust in me that you were talking about, Scott. Well, and this idea that I am God and there is none beside me is really a major theme of the Old Testament. It is like 
people can't seem to learn that and then hold on to it against the pressures of whatever happens to them in mortality. And so there's this great series of verses where in these chapters where he's talking about creating an idol and you yeah. chop down the wood and you use that wood for to, to cook with and you use that wood for every other thing and then you take part of that wood and make an idol and expect it to do something for you but it's the same very same wood that you were using to cook with and I, I love the way that the Lord puts idols in their place but what is yeah. fascinating to me about that is we have this chronological arrogance we look at them and think oh, they are so dumb they believe in idols and etc and yet i think we all are coming to see that we are in the very world that the lord has been describing to them our world is not different our world may be even more wicked and we have to be so careful that we are not part of covenant corruption that we are true to our covenants and that we are true to the e eternal assignments that are given us I couldn't agree more. And you're right. He, he hits on that theme a number of times. This look how stupid you are for using idols of wood or stone. Um, and and he does a great job of making it look silly. And we need to recognize that we need to be able to translate that into our idols. Like we talked about for Book of Mormon peoples, it's, it's pride usually of material wealth or something like that. Well, that's not an idol that's foreign to us today. Uh, I mean, for many people, that is a, a real struggle, a real idol, and we have to, to translate what he's saying about that uh, in, into our own day. So, okay, I'm not using wood and, and, and cooking with it and making an, uh, something that I worship with it. Instead, I'm using the things that I would have that enable me to buy that wood, <laughs> um, and that becomes my idol, right? It's really not different. Or one of the greatest idols I think we struggle with today is the idol of wanting uh, the, the society around us to think well of us, so much so that we're willing to abandon prophetic counsel, willing to abandon uh, true doctrine in order to have the people around us accept us. And that's probably even more stupid than cutting down a tree and cooking with part of it and making an idol with another part of it, right? But, but we don't translate that very well. So we just have to identify what the idols are in our own lives and, and take what Isaiah is teaching about it and figure out how it applies to us. We not only abandon the prophets, but we wrench what they say so that it can fit into the dominating philosophy and ideologies of the day. And, or we complain against them because they don't fit into the ideologies of the day. And, all and we say one things, day they'll figure it out. Yeah, they'll get it. I mean, they're kind of old, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, as if corruption of the covenant wouldn't exactly take that form. Yeah, I, I agree so wholeheartedly, and and we, I can't tell you how many people I'm sure I know that are sure that sooner or later the the prophets are going to figure this out and catch up and start to think the correct way, like the rest of the world is already thinking, which is such ironic thinking. But anyway, uh, Scott, I think you had something you were going to say. I was just thinking about the very name of Isaiah, this prophet that we all revere and that we sometimes fear because we can't understand him very well, but his very name means Jehovah is salvation. And this seems to be this, especially this theme in this set of readings this week, that Jehovah alone is salvation and there's no need 
to turn anywhere else because if you do, there is nothing there. And I, I do, I think this discussion is really important for our time. And Carrie, I love what you've been saying about the idols that we worship today and that they come in different forms. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, they, they were worshiping wood or silver or gold idols or, or brass or whatever. And we, we don't have anything like that. Well, we have, we have way more than they did as a society. And I think we have to be extremely careful and watch uh, and, and pray that we can have discernment so that we do not also get involved in, in idol worship in any way, shape, or form. I'm, I'm going to say something that I, I, I want to write down, and 500 years from now or whenever the veil is taken off, we're all going to look back on and and I think I'll be verified as being uh, very correct. I think that today, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are struggling with idolatry as much or more than our ancient uh, ancestors, our Israelite ancestors were, that it is a huge struggle for us today, and that we would all be well served to frequently just stop and assess our lives and say, what's the idol I'm working with right now? Especially because the idols are so aggressive. We've got this 24-hour news and social media, et cetera, et cetera. So everything comes at us at once. It's easy to make an idol just keep catching up. It's easy to make an idol just seeking for relief by endless entertainment. There's so many ways to do that. And I think that's particularly interesting in light of verse 3 of chapter 40, where it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And of course, those are very familiar words to us. And we know that also applies to us because we talk about it in Doctrine and Covenants section 33, verse 10. So what does it mean to prepare the way for the Lord? Because that is our calling. And to me, it seems to suggest, more than suggest, that the second coming is sometime in our future, but that right now our job is to prepare for it. And we are preparing the people and the earth for the second coming of the Lord. And the way we do that is by gathering Israel on both sides of the veil. But to the degree that we're busy worshiping idols instead, or we take up all our time with that, then we are shirking the most important responsibility that any people in any time frame have ever been given. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we can understand that. Let's kind of go back to some of the verses you read earlier, and it will help us understand this prepare the way of the Lord uh, issue a little bit better. And these are beautiful, such beautiful verses that, of course, they were set to music. And as we read them, just people will automatically hear it come into their head. Um, but remember the, the terrible things they've been through. Most of Judah destroyed. They were nearly destroyed in Jerusalem. Uh, just terrible things have happened, but they're spared. And so think, put yourself in their position. Again, I think if we understand the original context, we can understand our day and the application in our day better. Think of what these verses would mean for someone who was just like last week had an army around their city and was worried that they were going to be destroyed. Right. And I don't know if it was actually just a week later, but it, it could have been, right? So put yourself in that that context and, and think of hearing these words, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Uh, and that's a covenant phrase, right? My people. So comfort, comfort ye, comfort ye, the people who have been making and keeping covenants with me, saith your God, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. That's the city that was spared, right? And cry unto her 
that her warfare is accomplished, it's over, that her iniquity is pardoned. So they had been idolatrous, but they worked on getting rid of this idolatry. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this is a this is an interesting reference to the law of Moses, actually. In the law of Moses, there are a number of transgressions you might commit against somebody where you have to repay them double. So like if you took something from them, you have to repay double to them. And so that's the reference he's making is that, okay, you, you, uh, you suffered because of your sins, but now I'm going to repay you double. And they would have understood this in a law of Moses context. And then we get the verse that, that you're uh, just referencing, Maureen, where it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in, uh, in the desert a highway for our God. Now, we have to understand that this is right at the beginning of what is about to become a series of chapters that focus on a servant. Uh, and we're going to get that especially in chapter 42, but we get it uh, in, in chapter 41 a little bit. Uh, but this idea that there is a servant that is going to help God accomplish his work. And the greatest fulfillment of this is Christ. There's no doubt of that. But Isaiah is, in these chapters that we're reading, 40 through 49, he identifies the servant a few times. It's the only time he identifies a servant is, is a couple times, and it's mostly in this, the reading for this week. And he identifies it as Israel. Uh, so that is one of the fulfillments. Sometimes, actually, the covenant is the servant. Um, but, but one of the primary definitions is Israel or covenant keepers, right? And so here's something I think we have to recognize that uh, and by the way, that's that central theme of the, the, the chiasmus, that God and his servants will help redeem Israel. So that's God and Jesus Christ and all of his covenant keepers will help uh, redeem, uh, well, not just Israel, but all the world. It's, it's actually for all the world that the redemption is available if they will become part of Israel. And so here's the thing that I think we get in these first three verses of chapter 40. When we have turned to God and been delivered because we keep covenant, then not only can we be comforted, but it's our job, as you said, to turn around and provide that opportunity for others, provide the opportunity to make the covenant for others because we've been blessed by the covenant and keeping the covenant and thus redemption came to us. Now we have to prepare for other people to have that opportunity. And that's just a, 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 it's part of the covenant actually, but it's just so beautifully put in these first few verses of Isaiah. And of course, we'll find a fulfillment of that in John the Baptist. Uh, we'll find a fulfillment of that in Joseph Smith, but we should find a fulfillment of that in every covenant individual. And I love the principle that you're teaching here, Carrie, that, that this scripture, as well as so many others, have multiple fulfillments. We can't just limit it to because all of a sudden we're looking at this and we always thought, oh, this is just John the Baptist. This is how we've kind of always been taught. But no, it has multiple fulfillments, as you just mentioned. And with each of us, as we do our part in gathering Israel, and with the Savior, with John the Baptist, with Joseph Smith, with the covenant, with Israel. I mean, this is really opening our minds to the uh, understanding of the scriptures as never before. I love that. A couple of points interest me about that. The very last verses of Isaiah 40 are some of my favorite. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. So we have someone who is guiding 
and over this work, who never wearies and never slumbers. But look what he does. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he receiveth strength. You know, that's talking about us. We think about that big job to be part of that covenant group that prepares the way for the coming of the Lord, and we think, I can't do it. But there he is giving us right there that sense that he will give it to us. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And I I think the idea that the Lord can renew our strength to do the covenant work he's given us to do is really beautiful. And then in that next chapter, chapter 41, to Israel, the Lord says, ye are my servants. And then look what the verses are that highlight that. Um, we are God's servants. That's eight and nine. We are his chosen people. God has called us from the chief men of the earth. We are to fear not, for God will strengthen, help, and uphold us. Those who are against us will be ashamed and confounded and will perish. This is verse 11. They who war against us will be as nothing and as a thing of naught. Verse 12. And while holding our right hand, God will say, Fear not, I will help thee. What marvelous promises we have there at the end of chapter 40 and into chapter 41 about what the Lord will do for us. And it's not just ancient Israel he's talking about, or Jerusalem, all of that is talking about us today for the job that is before us now in preparing the way of the Lord. Amen and hallelujah. You're, you're right. I mean, it's certainly about them, but it's also about us. And, and you just read those verses where he first identifies Israel as the servant, and then this servant theme is going to go strongly from here through chapter 53, um, this idea of a servant that is Christ, but is also us. Um, and, and I love, especially you read verse 13, but uh, verse 13 and uh, fear not, I will help thee. But then verse 14, because of the caveat he has in here again, fear not thou worm Jacob, right? That's a, so a, a, that's another way of saying Israel. He's calling us worms, right? He's just going to remind us in the middle of this kind of what he talked about when, when you re- started reading at the end of chapter 40, just remember the difference between us and God. God is so much more powerful, so much greater, and that should be comforting to us because he's telling us he's going to help us, so we should know we're okay because of his power. So fear not, thou worm Jacob, and you men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Right? This is the God who can redeem us is telling us he will help us, and that's incredibly comforting, isn't it? And further on in chapter 41, starting in verse 18, I will open rivers in high places. He's going to show them that he really is God. He can do anything. I will open rivers in high places and fountains, which is springs. In the midst of the valleys, I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He'll plant all these trees, and they will know, they'll see in verse 20, and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this. So in a land that they're living in, which is completely dependent upon water, he's going to show them in language that they understand that he is God and that he is uh, the one who has done all this to save them. Yeah, and it's and, and that, that's covenant imagery throughout, right? This idea that 
I will protect you and I will give you prosperity. Well, those are two of the most important promises in the covenant. So uh, while he's both providing images that are comforting to us, and you're right, I mean, anyone who's in an arid place or anyone who's even in a place that's not arid, but in a period of drought, and that's happening all over in, in a number of places in the world right now, um, this imagery of, well, when it's even in a dry place, I'll create water. Wow, that's that's beautiful image. But it's also imagery that says, I'm going to be keeping the covenant. You're going to get all the blessings of the covenant because you're keeping the covenant. And that's also incredibly comforting. Maybe we could look just at a couple of verses in, in chapter 42 as well um, that I think also highlight this this um, servant image and uh, some symbols that maybe we could just, uh, I think we've talked about unpacking symbols before. Maybe we could just do that a little bit and and uh, see what we can get out of these. Uh, so if we go to chapter 42, he says, verse 1, Behold my servant whom I have uphold mine elect. So this is still Israel. Of course, it has many fulfillments. Christ, Isaiah is often a fulfillment of this servant imagery, um, Joseph Smith, but all of us, right? So, behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now, most people read these verses and they think of Christ, and I think that's absolutely appropriate and correct. He is the greatest fulfillment of this. But we should also think of this as Israel, ancient and modern Israel, whose job it is to bring judgment. And let's let's remember, judgment doesn't mean to say you did things wrong. It means to make things right. That's what judgment means, to make things the way they should be. So they're going to bring these good things, make things the way they should be for the Gentiles. And what the ultimate form of that is what should happen is that they have access to uh, the covenant so that they can have full access to the atoning power of Christ. So that's the job of Israel and of Christ. And so he, referring to the servant, which is Christ, but is also all of Israel as a whole, it's Scott, Maureen, Carrie, Michaela, and uh, Jacob, and everyone else, right? Uh, And it's ancient modern Israel. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. So this isn't about going out and making a big fuss. Now, verse, verse three, a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. So let's ask, what in the world does he mean by breaking bruised reeds and quenching smoking flax? Well, reeds were used for all sorts of things, but one of the most common things they were used for was writing. Uh, in fact, whoever was writing this, whether it's Isaiah or a scribe that writes down Isaiah's words, I kind of suspect Isaiah wrote down his own words, but we know like Jeremiah had a scribe write down his words. We don't know how it worked. But whoever's writing this is writing it with a reed. Right, so as he talks about a reed, he's he's doing it with a reed, um, and when they when they get whatever you use a reed for, you can use them for a number of things, but that's the most common thing. Um, when they get bruised or they get broken, they get a, a, a something that's that's not working in them. Uh, they start to fold. Right, they don't hold up. Their stiffness is gone, and they don't hold up. And so you just throw them away. At that point, they're of no use. So you throw them away. Right, or flax is what they used to make their wicks for their lamps out of flax. And as long as that flax is good, if it's soaked in olive oil, as long as it's not all used up, then you don't get a lot of smoke. It just burns cleanly and you get light without smoke. But you can tell when it's time to throw it away because uh, it's been used up because it starts to smoke a lot. And when it smokes a lot, you throw it away. So what he's really saying is, 
things that seem to be used up, he's not going to throw away. Well, that's comforting because sometimes I'm used up. Right? And sometimes I'm a broken reed. I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to do. Sometimes I, I've, you've used up all the good in my flax, in my wick, and I'm, I'm starting to smoke instead of put out light, right? You get either light or smoke. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I think we look around in our wards and we think, well, that person really isn't doing much. We can't rely on them and, uh, and so on. And I think that he's saying that's not what Israel or Christ will do. No one is used up. No one's to be tossed aside. Everyone should have the chance to receive the covenant. We don't give up on anyone. Everyone should have the chance to receive the covenant. Uh, And that's why we get verse 4, he shall not fail nor be discouraged till he shall have set judgment in the earth, so making all these things right, and the isle shall want for his loss. So it may seem like there are nations that are lost, cultures that are lost, individuals that are lost, areas, whatever. And he says, no, Uh, the job of my servant is to bring the gospel, judgment, to bring good things, the light of Christ to everybody, no matter how much they seem like they're not going to accept it or, or they're not worth it. They are. Just bring them the gospel. Uh, Christ will do it, and it's our job to do it as well. It's, it's beautiful imagery, I think. Oh, I think it is beautiful imagery as well. I love the idea that God doesn't give up on us, because sometimes we feel so used up. And I also love the idea that he doesn't give up on those who seem completely indifferent or if not hostile to religion. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't give up on the nations that were destroyed in as the children of Israel inherit the promised land. He has a plan for all of us. I can't even comprehend the level of love it is because sometimes we honestly give up on others. They make us tired. They wear us out. They seem And irritable. sometimes we give up on ourselves. Oh, my goodness, so much, yeah. Well, and he continues in uh, chapter 42, just, I love verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So he's going to be with us. It sounds like the kind of language that was used in the restoration as well, that he would always be with us. And as we do this work, he will hold our hand and keep us. That gives me great comfort. How much of what happens on earth happens because we're blind, because we cannot see what is real, because we are caught up with the things that press upon us right now, the ideas that press upon us right now, People are angry and frustrated because of their upbringing or neglect or so many things that happen to them. And and he is basically saying, I will open their blind eyes and I will bring the prisoners out of prison and those that sit in darkness will actually begin to see a great light. That is so hopeful. It is. It is. And and maybe we can look at kind of the end of chapter 42, the beginning of 43, as as an example, not only of uh, that hope and this kind of uh, cycle, a uh, repetitive cycle I've talked about. And then maybe we better jump to talk about 48 and 49. But, but let's just look at those. So he, he gets, say, to verse 24, um, and he's talking about the reason that, that sometimes his covenant people have to be punished. 
who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? So he's saying that, you know, they were punished. They were, they were uh, taken over by the Assyrians, but there are a number of different ways that can be fulfilled for Israel as a whole and for me as an Israelite, you as an Israelite. Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned. So he's making it clear. It's Jehovah who caused these difficult things to come upon us because we broke the covenant. And so he's humbling us to get us to keep the covenant again. For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his laws. That's just a clear way of saying they didn't keep the covenant. Therefore, because they broke the covenant, therefore he hath poured upon him, meaning the Jacob, but that means all of Israel, the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it hath set him on fire round about, yet he knew not, and it burned him, yet he laid it not to heart. So he's saying he, he's punishing and punishing, him, and he's still not, Israel's still not thinking, oh, I need to repent, I need to repent, right? Uh, so he's, he's talking about a, a high degree of punishment that comes upon Israel as a whole in Isaiah's day, but this is fulfilled again and again and again, and it happens for Israelite individuals. So that's a rough ending of a chapter, right? Yeah, I'm just punishing you, and you're not learning, and so it's getting ugly. But look at how verse chapter 43 starts, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. So not only created us in the creator, but also created the house of Israel as in establishing a covenant. And he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. Uh, That's so incredible that despite how much we've broken the covenant and how much he's had to humble us. He's telling us, but don't worry. I'll redeem you. I know who you are, and I will call you, and you still belong to me. Uh, redeemed and, and, and tied to me. That's so comforting that no matter how often we're the dingy people at the end of the chapter, we also can be the redeemed people at the beginning of the next chapter. I love that idea in verse 4, uh, since thou wast precious in my sight. I think that it's almost too much for us to comprehend that we are precious to the Lord. Because sometimes we're not precious to ourselves. But to know that he who is the most intelligent of them all looks at us, who he acknowledges are grasshoppers, worms, you know, very, very small compared to him, that we are precious to him. That is really an incredible gift. It is, yeah. And, and chapter 43 is so full of this idea that you're talking about, uh, bringing light to the blind and the gathering of Israel because of exactly what you were talking about. Because uh, despite the fact that we are so low in comparison with him, he has this beautiful gift to give us. It's, 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 it's just incredible stuff, I think. So shall we turn to chapters 48 and 49? My goodness, where have we seen these before? Well, we've, we've seen them a number of places. Uh, as I said, this is the, they're the two central chapters in this chiasmus, right? And we won't get into the details of the chiasmus here. You can get that in my, um, my commentary. Or uh, actually, I, I think, uh, I'm not for sure I can pull this off, but I think so. I've got a bunch of videos I made for my Isaiah class that I teach just to help them get some things we don't have time to cover in class. And I'm working on getting those where uh, they could be on YouTube or uh, on on uh, my website, outofthedust.org or something like that. So I'm, uh, it, it goes into that in detail. So you can get the chiastic details elsewhere. But I would say that Nephi clearly recognized 
I, I would guess he recognized this as a chiasmus, but if not, the point of a chiasmus is that it naturally hones you in on that center point. And Nephi was definitely affected by chapters 48 and 49. Uh, those are the chapters that he reads to his brothers at the end of uh, 1 Nephi 19 when he's had all this discussion with his brothers and he says, okay, I want to liken the scriptures to us. And he's very clear if you look at the context of those verses, say verse um, 20 through 24, it's very clear saying, um, I can liken this to you because you're of Israel, the scriptures about Israel, so the scriptures apply to us. Uh, and that's true for us as covenant holders as well, right? Uh, and But what he says specifically is, I'm going to read these chapters to you and want you to liken them because there's so much about Israel and being redeemed. And what he reads is chapter 48 and 49. And they're referred to or paraphrased throughout the Book of Mormon more than really any other Isaiah verses. They're all over the place. Jacob's big sermon. Well, Nephi will come back to it again in, in his commentary in, in 1 Nephi 21. He makes reference to him again in 2 Nephi 25 and 26 and so on. Jacob's big sermon that we get in 2 Nephi, say, 6 through 10 are also response to and commentary on these chapters. Uh, they're just all over in the Book of Mormon. They're, they're clearly really important chapters uh, for Book of Mormon writers, and thus hopefully they are for us as well. And they bring us to Christ so clearly. And I am very moved by thinking about Nephi in the wilderness as they've been cast off from Jerusalem and they're there in the new promised land, and they're so far away from their original homeland, and they take comfort in these words of Isaiah, and they're applying them and likening them to them because it does bring them comfort. It brings them back to who they really are, and they are the Savior's uh, children and the children of the covenant, and they don't want to ever forget that. I, I couldn't agree more. And yet, isn't it interesting, in verse 4 of chapter 48, the Lord says specifically to the covenant keepers, or the covenant makers, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. In other words, you've made this covenant, but you are casual with this covenant, and you are not sufficiently reverential toward the Lord, and so he deems them as obstinate. And you'd think that once you're to the point that you make a covenant with the Lord, that you would just be open and move forward without obstacles in your path. But it seems like we place our own obstacles in our paths. And, and again, just like you said earlier, Maureen, it's so easy for us to read this and say, what is wrong with them? But what we have to do is say, how am I doing this? Don't ask if you're doing it. You're doing it, right? You have to ask, how am I having uh, an iron uh, neck, or how does he phrase it then, uh, uh, obstinate with a neck that uh, has an iron sinew and a brass brow? How am I doing that as a covenant individual? There, I must be doing this somehow and identify how that is a description of us. And then note what he says from there, and this is again a theme that we get repeated a, a ton during this, these chapters. He's saying, well, because of that, I, I just want you to know that I really am God. And so I've given prophecies that you can see are fulfilled. So that should serve to let you know that I am God. What we didn't mention actually is that uh, it's in these chapters, starting in chapter 45, that we get uh, named Cyrus 
who will uh, release the Jews from bondage and allow them to go back to Jerusalem. And he's specifically named, and he's also a servant. He's named as a servant. So the two people that Isaiah names as servants are Israel and Cyrus. And you can see how Cyrus is a fulfillment of this servant because in a way he redeems, right? He buys back from bondage these people who have been taken to Babylon and aren't allowed to go back to Jerusalem. He conquers uh, Babylon and allows them their, their, I mean, it's not full freedom, but freedom at least to go back to Jerusalem and, and rebuild the temple and worship God there and so on. And so we've had Cyrus as an example of that. Uh, and that's one of the prophecies that God wants us to understand. I made that prophecy and it was fulfilled. So you should know that I really am God. Now, of course, some people will try and explain that away. Oh, he couldn't have known it was Cyrus because prophecy is not real. So someone else must have said this, right? But um, but God is very clear a number of times. No, I'm telling you things before they happen so that when they do happen, you'll remember uh, God really is God. And I love the tie to this dispensation in Chapter 49, verse 1, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, and from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And I look at the preface to the Doctrine and Covenants, which is section 1, Hearken, O ye people of my church, saith the voice of him who dwells on high, and whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily I say, hearken, ye people, from afar, and ye that are upon the islands of the sea, listen together. And it, it just sounds like we're tying into that same uh, covenant language. The Lord is going to tie us to him and remind us of who we are. Yeah, well, you know, Isaiah speaks so beautifully about things that, and, and there's an application for this in his day, but these clear applications in our day, he speaks so beautifully about it that, it's not only the Nephites who will use him again and again to talk about Christ and the gathering of Israel. Uh, Christ himself will, during his mortal ministry, he quotes Isaiah more than anybody else. Um, and then in the Restoration, Isaiah is quoted or paraphrased again and again and again. Uh, and I think that section one is a time where it's being paraphrased, but there are times where it's directly quoted uh, again and again as God talks about bringing people to Christ and, and gathering Israel and restoring the covenant because Isaiah writes about it so beautifully. And we're in the midst of some of the chapters where he does it most powerfully. I think about being in that pre-mortal world and being given our time frame when we would come to earth. And if we were born in this time period, it seems like we would just shout for joy and say, this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be able to help gather people. I wanted to be able to help prepare the way for the second coming. And yet, isn't it ironic that we take it for granted? And we have these remarkable temples amongst us. And sometimes they are not as full as they should be because the Lord said in chapter 48 that he's going to do a new thing and give us hidden things. And that certainly is temple knowledge and temple understanding and, and the power and the miracles that come with a temple-centered life. And yet so often we just don't even appreciate the gifts, the privileges, and the role we've been given. So, Carrie, we've referred to this chiasm, this bringing together into a center point, and you mentioned at the beginning that the center point is in 48 and 49. What would be the most important message then that we've been led to in these chapters? It, it really is that 
Christ and as God's servant and other servants give us the opportunity to partake of the power of God and be redeemed. All right, so just as, as an example, well, we, we just read verse 49, 1 through 2, this idea that is fulfilled in Christ in Isaiah and in Israel, um, that God has created a servant who is going to do this great work. Um, now let's go verse 5 and 6. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again uh, to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing. So that's a, uh, uh, not light as in uh, optical light, but this is a not heavy thing. It's a not heavy thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserve of Israel. I will also give thee for a light. This is an op- optical light. This is, you know, like sunlight, light of Christ to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So what he's saying is, it's not, it, it, it may, it's actually a big burden to gather Israel, but it's light compared to what I want you to do. I want you to gather the entire world and get them to be part of Israel. And so th- this is kind of part of the central point here, right? That Christ is a fulfillment of this. We're a fulfillment of this. Isaiah is a fulfillment of this, but we need to gather all the world and make them Israel, make help them partake of a covenant and and uh, worship God and partake of the atoning power of Christ. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, that's the servant, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant to the people of, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth, to them that are in darkness, shew yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pasture shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highway shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these shall come from the land of Shem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. All right, this is, this is the message, really, of all of Isaiah, of the gospel, but certainly of the central point of the chiasmus, that God sends servants, and when the, you listen to those servants and come to God through the covenant, you will be uh, find freedom from bondage. You'll find that you are fulfilled, and that you are. It's made possible to gather from the entire world to come to Christ and rejoice because of the comfort and the mercy that God will give you. That is such a fantastic message, and a f- fantastic role for us to be part of. Oh, I completely agree, and I love where those next verses leave. They've always been some of my favorite. Because they remind us that God will not forget us. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee? Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. That is so personal. You know, it couldn't be a more personal 
promise that I won't forget you and that I can do all these things I promise to you, that when you are sorely afflicted, as we often are in this world, that I will be there to comfort you and that I have important work for you to do. That is so meaningful to all of us. And yes, he says, I have important work for you to do and it's work that I will help you with. And it's huge work. Yes, it's to gather the covenant people, but all the Gentiles, my goodness. So Maureen, maybe as a, as a mother, could you speak to us of that image of can a woman forget her second child that she should uh, uh, ha- not have compassion on the son of her womb? And he's basically saying that's, almost, that, that's pretty much impossible, but it's more likely that I'll forget you. D- could you just speak to that imagery? Oh, my goodness. It is so beautiful because I think that as a, a, as a mother gives birth, has a child grow inside of her and then gives birth and then can actually nourish that child from her own body, there is a oneness and a connection and a sense of, I will do anything for this baby because um, I have been there at every stage of development and I have felt this complete dependence of this baby upon me. And there is no way you may grow up, you may have children, you may think you're independent, but I, as your mother, will never forget that once you were entirely dependent and vulnerable, and I was there, and we shared this connection. Uh, that's beautiful, really beautiful, and I think you're right, and, and, and a mother never, so in reality, we are never uh, not in need of God, uh, and, and uh, I think we're also not in need of, of that mothering. Um, and I, I also think in terms of uh, a mother who is nursing really can't forget her child. After a while, it becomes painful, right? Uh, that child needs to eat, and, uh, and uh, the mother needs to feed the child. It's impossible to forget. You, you get reminded, uh, and, and the child cries, and you get reminded, right? Uh, that, that it's just a natural response that you start to lactate and so on, and there's no way around this. And, and, and even with all of that, God is saying it's more likely that a mother who has all that going on will forget her child than it is that I will forget my covenant people. That's, that's so powerful. That's all for today. We have loved being with you and with Dr. Carrie Milstein and discussing these wonderful chapters of Isaiah. Next week we'll be studying Isaiah chapters 50 through 57, some of the most beautiful verses in all of Holy Writ. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We'd like to thank Paul Cardall for the music which accompanies this podcast and for our producer, Michaela Proctor Hutchins. And we're so grateful to have had Dr. Carrie Mulestein joining us for this joint podcast, The Scriptures Are Real and Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me. We're Scott and Maureen Proctor and Carrie Mulestein. Have a wonderful week and see you next time.